welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over 200 different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Welcome back to the Centered in the City podcast. I am so excited to have Debrina Jackson-Gandy with us on the podcast. Debrina is a master coach. She is an author. One of her most popular books is called Sacred Pampering Principles, An African-American Women's Guide to Self-Care and Inner Renewal. Her work has been featured in Oprah's O Magazine, Ebony, Essence, Women's Day, and many more. You can read her whole bio in the show notes as well as get links to her book and her audiobook. On the podcast, we talk about what sacred self-care really means how important it is to do the inner work, the deeper inner work, and not just cross off self-care like it's something on a to-do list. So settle in and let's get centered. Sabrina, welcome to the Centered in the City podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited and you're local. I know we got a little <laughs> sacred Seattle conversation today. Yeah. Um, I'd love to begin by hearing about a time when you didn't feel centered, whatever centered means to you and how you met yourself there in that moment. Mm. Well, I, that takes me back to post-college when I graduated from Pepperdine University in Malibu, California, and I was living in West LA. And those two years were really what prompted me to even write the book, Sacred Pampering Principles, my first national, uh, nationally published book. And I was reflecting on my experiences at Pepperdine with all of these physically beautiful people that came from a lot of wealthy families. I was there from, um, a family that did very well, but I was mainly there because of my scholastic achievement and a lot of scholarships. And one of the things I thought would happen being there is that I would encounter the most happy, satisfied people on earth because they were certainly some of the most beautiful and wealthy in terms of the families they came from. But what I discovered was something very different. There was a lot of inner discontent. There was a lot of complaint. Um, and when I was living those couple of years in LA, it was very easy to get caught up in that whole fast pace, always doing something, bragging about how you're busy, busy, busy. And at that time, I would not say I was deeply centered, you know, because our roots can go deeper and deeper and deeper. So I would say that to me being centered is because you can be centered externally. And I was very externally centered at that time. 
the activities, the invitations, the nightlife. What were other people doing? Comparisons. So I was centered, but I was centered in an external place, which is not very peace bringing. And so I began to think about what do I need to do to have a very different kind of experience of life where I would be fulfilled and deeply satisfied. And it meant as it meant many things, but one of those things was relocating where I was centered. And instead of it being externally um, and on all the shiny objects and what other people were doing and activity and all those things, I became centered in my interior. And that's a whole journey about self-intimacy and understanding um, the divine, how we're made, our divine design. But that time would be a time where I would say I was centered, but it was externally and um, a balance is fine, but it was excessively <laughs> focused externally. So that was the impetus though, for the sacred self-caring journey that I launched myself into uh, within a couple years of that post-college experience. Wow. So it sounds like your environment woke you up to realize, okay, I'm centered externally in these ways, but something is not feeling um, peaceful, as you said, right. internally. And yeah. it sounds like that sent you on a quest of exploration. So tell us a little bit more about your journey and, and how you went inwards to find that deeper, sacred, inner centered space. Yeah. Well, I relocated back to Washington State where I grew up. I'm not from here, but I grew up here. And that was one of the things that I decided for myself to actually change my entire environment so that I would be extracted from the seduction, I'll call it, of that very um, persuasive lifestyle and way of rolling and showing up and being in life. And that relocation, I decided was a marker. And that marker was where I now, as you were just mentioning, um, had a quest. And it, what, the quest was based in a question. What is the way of believing and being in life that gives you an experience of deep fulfillment and satisfaction, peace, ease, and flow? I knew what didn't yield those things. All I had to do is just look around me and the American way of life is based on the rat race, always pursuing and chasing. So I knew what ways of thinking and being didn't produce that. And so the quest became to be the guinea pig where I would uncover, discover what was the foundation for a deeply fulfilling and satisfying life as a woman. And that is where the journey began. I call it my sacred self-caring journey. And I put the word sacred in there so that we don't leave out the spirit. Um, and when you are operating from a sacred self-caring consciousness, it's a, it's a completely different dimension to live from. You know, in, in uh, Holy Scripture, it talks about being in the world and not of the world. And it really is about being in the world and not of the world when you're operating from this elevated consciousness of a sacred self-caring woman. So I started to deconstruct, first of all, my life because it was based upon the American rat race and ex overly externalized comparison and doing and frenetic activity. I started to deconstruct it so I could reconstruct it based upon a completely different foundation. And um, I found that it was prof 
profoundly powerful and not just powerful and not just created improvement, but it created transformation in me, meaning caterpillar to butterfly, different creature. So um, that was really what was the spark for the book. As I said, well, let me give my hand a, a try at writing a book to capture yeah. this different orientation and different foundation and different um, consciousness that I now have begun to live from. Mm. And uh, yeah. I, I can resonate with so much of what you just shared because I'm from New York City originally. Okay. And very much a similar hustle, go, go, go. What designers are you wearing, right? Fashion, fashionistas everywhere to living in Seattle where, you know, we're wearing raincoats or rain boots or, you know, just a different, different set of, um, for, for some people, um, culturally and learning to shed some of those external, uh, drives, right. That society is, is telling me I should be doing, or I should be wearing, um, was so integral to my internal process too, of just like seeing like what's around you, what influences are in your space and place that aren't helpful or maybe in alignment with what feels like your inner truth. Um, so I can really resonate with that. And then I'm also really curious to hear a little bit more about the importance of the sacred element of self-care, because I think that makes it so unique to bring in yeah. to the conversation around self-care practices. Yeah. Well, we are, my, the premise I operate from is that each of us is a living soul with the mind, body, and spirit. And that when you were operating from the consciousness of a sacred self-caring woman, you were tending to all those dimensions of yourself. And based upon the beliefs you're operating from and the construct that you're operating from about life, one of the natural fruits or byproducts of, not the focus, but the byproduct of operating from that consciousness is sacred self-caring choices that also honor your spirit, your body, and your mind. So instead of me um, teaching around practices, practices, do this, do this, to be good to yourself or treat self-care as a reward after grinding, it's like, let's go to a higher level where we have 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 cleaned out, released, and healed the self-dishonoring, um, hard time saying no, um, busy, busy, busyness, the beliefs that support those behaviors to now installing a new set of behave beliefs out of which new behaviors emerge. So I don't have women go directly after behavior and self-care behavior practices or or uh, activities, but I take them to a higher and deeper place. So naturally the fruit of the consciousness produces certain kinds of choices that naturally are self-caring self and self-honoring. So that's a, um, a shift from even my understanding when sacred pampering principles first came out 25 years ago, even though it's continued to be a national bestseller, just came out in audio book, but my understanding from 25 years ago, which was a focus on sacred, which was a focus on self-caring practices, practices and activities, activities, it's now matured to an actual higher level where the focus is on the consciousness of a sacred self-caring woman and what is that and what does it consist of? So um, 
And, and from that place, we then have ease because we're tending to our mind, body, and spirit. We're fortifying and renewing and um, how we move through our day, the beliefs that are moving through our minds that are forming our behaviors. So it's, it's a very different experience because otherwise self-care can seem like another to-do list. Let me be sure I drink my smoothie. Let me go to yoga. Let me. And so I really want to take us to a higher place and a higher dimension. Yes. You're approaching it from that more sustainable place of like, let me be this do this so I can have this versus the inverse, which we typically operate in North American culture of like, well, I need to have this. So I need to do this so that I can be this. Right. So you're coming more from that inner place of, of honoring and belief, uh, belief alignment. Yeah. To and then belief reinstallation, because for example, in juicy woman university, my 12 month life transformation program, there's so much detoxing and unlearning first for me to do with women because of all of the various beliefs that make up our belief system that yield the unself-caring life. So before I start talking about let's look at let's look at new beliefs and what are they and let's get them installed and so you can begin to integrate and embody them. The first thing is to clean out the gunk, funk, and junk that's that's filling up our being. What would then you say? we can start to talk about um, what are those new beliefs and how do I install them and live from them. What would you say is one or top few common beliefs that women in your community or communities you've seen get yeah. to unlearn? Wonderful. Well, there are several that are very universal and universal is kind of arrogant because I'm talking about my experience in America. So they're national. I won't say universal. Um, one is that we have adopted, regardless of our success, our achievements, et cetera, et cetera, a subordinate mindset. And it's subordinate to men. Mm. And one of the ways that shows up is when it's time to bring your voice forward, you find that women are often stifling, suppressing their voices or justifying why they did not bring their voices forward. It could be in their marriages. It could be in their love relationship. It could be in the workplace. And so that's a common theme of the dismissing the power of our voice and justifying why not bringing my voice forward is okay. And that's one behavior that's a result of some deeper beliefs, but that whole subordinate, um, less significant than uh, mindset is definitely there. Uh, another belief is that our roles are our identity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, outside of your roles, transcending your roles, tell me who you are. And a lot of women are at a loss. And whether it's women whose husbands died, for example, I was just in Atlanta leading a seminar. There was a couple of women that were widows and they went through a major identity mm -hmm. crisis when their husbands died because so much of their identity, and they may not have been aware of it, were entangled in not just being a missus, but the identity of literally their husband. And so when they were left to not be the wife of, but who are you as a woman? It was like, uh, 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 a lot of question marks and um, feeling of, feelings of being lost for a period of time, or women who their children go off to college or leave home. 
And the mothering role was such a huge part of their identity. And they go through a crisis when there's no more children to mother. Well, who am I without the role of mother? So we have started to identify roles as treat roles as if they were our identity. And outside of the roles, we're often at a loss. Well, who am I if I can't say, I'm the mother of, I'm the wife of, and, um, or here's my title at work. So that's another um, common uh, trend that I see mm. is over identifying with roles and not knowing who we are outside of those. Mm. Um, thirdly is also not understanding our unique feminine power. Mm. And what we see in the Western American culture is the modeling of trying to copycat men, often white men, as the way to have the power we perceive them having. And um, that is a facsimile and inauthentic and um, manufactured and synthesized instead of, well, what is the unique power I bring because I came to the planet as a woman? And uh, women know very little about that because they've seen the models in corporate athletics and military being very much based upon a highly activated masculine energy and nothing's wrong with masculine energy. But if we start to have an excessive amount of it, or we start to overly adopt, which mm. is not even based upon our organic way of being, we start to overly ad adopt ways of being that we think mimic men we're moving further and further away from honoring and recognizing, well, what are the ways that power shows up through this experience as a woman? So when I talk about feminine power, women are like, well, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. And so there's a consistent absence of understanding anything about that and feminine leadership. What does it look like when I lead in my natural organic way versus trying to copycat how right. a man might do it and we don't know much about that either so those are just a few um weighed a, a few of the common common denominators that i have seen um across the board with women so knowing consciousness is such a huge piece of your process to support people not only untangling from unhelpful beliefs but also helping to, it sounds like, tap into like who they are, gain that awareness of who they are as a feminine leader, as a person, as a human on this earth. How do you support them tapping into consciousness? Because I think that's such a, um, yeah. you know, interesting way that we, like there are many modalities and entry points to connect to our consciousness. Yeah. Well, you can't not be tapped into your consciousness. The question is, what's the level of it? So it's really about them elevating their consciousness to what I call the sacred self-caring woman's consciousness. So you can't not be connected to your consciousness. You're just unconscious about the level of <laughs> where it is. So for example, in Juicy Woman University, there's you know 10 premises that become part of the new belief structure of a woman who's, you know, I want to, you know, really experience life a different way. I want to show up a different way, et cetera. So that unlearning, that detoxing healing work is required um, as well, because you don't just replace beliefs without healing work because you have emotions and behaviors and feelings and circumstances all wrapped up in how they even got installed in the first place. So mm -hmm. it's not a mental process. 
it's a healing process, which is mind, body, and spirit. And most women have done no healing work. They've done reflection work, awareness work, um, things that help them to relax or feel some relief. But healing work is very distinct and different from just a lot of what we're calling healing work. So that's been fascinating. Going back to your previous question, what do I notice is that there's confusion about what qualifies as healing and how it's distinct from a lot of the things we're doing right now, calling it healing work. Um, but in order to replace beliefs, you got to go vertical down and you got to clean some stuff out and it requires forgiveness work and um, other modalities that support the dislodging of the barbs of our current beliefs that have taken root in our being. Mm. I love your emphasis on healing work, work because it is so important. It's like, how can we be in relationship if we're not healing ourselves, healing, you know, uh, God, marriage has been like the biggest mirror for me of like, oh, my healing work that I continue to get to do. And I can't imagine one day when becoming a mother, you know, how that's a whole probably another layer of healing work. Do you feel like the journey to healing is ever complete? Um, not in this lifetime. I think, um, again, there's as my students would say, levels and layers. So I yeah. used the example of a septic tank. When I was growing up in Lacey, uh, we had an older house that at the time had an actual septic tank buried eight feet below the ground, you know, regard, um, according to code. And you could dig three, four feet and never get to the septic tank that really had all the poo-poo, literally. Right. <laughs> and so we will do some healing work. And, and, and the, one of the spiritual technologies I teach is forgiveness, because you can do it without needing a practitioner or, or other tools or those kind of things. And so women will do uh, a, a forgiveness treatment, which has five parts to it. And they say, Debrina, I did that forgiveness work around my family member, my ex-husband. I said, oh, even though I told you it's a process, you're treating it like an event. You mm. went down two feet. You haven't even got to the septic tank. Mm. So there's more cycles to do. You just started doing forgiveness work in my course and you're 47. So it's an ongoing process of going deeper. And there's so much gunk, funk, and junk, emotional beliefs, um, self-concepts, concepts about other people, God, body, sex, money, the list just goes on and on. There's so much to heal to really be free yeah. in this culture and globally, because, you know, the pandemic let us know that the way that most of us are living is suffocating our human spirit, hence the respiratory impact of COVID and it manifesting through our breathing apparatus. So, mm -hmm. um, so it's ongoing and it's glorious. We don't brush our teeth once and say, Oh God, I got to brush my teeth again. You know, we've gotten accustomed to it's an ongoing process doing it once means it, it doesn't mean you're not going to do it tomorrow and the next day so healing is not an event um it's a process and each time you do your healing work one of the outcomes is you get freer and freer and freer mm. and so um yeah it is it's a process and it's ongoing hallelujah yeah, I love your emphasis. It's not a box to check because, yes, there's so with so many layers to the onions of people that we are, right? That we continue to peel, even if it's not pleasant or difficult. Um, and sometimes it is pleasant. Sometimes, like I've noticed, I'm like, wow, that felt so good to release that. And sometimes I'm like, this is horrible. Why am I having to process and heal this again? Um, I'm I'm curious to hear like 
you know, working with driven women, ambitious women that you work with, leaderships, like typically what I hear a lot in, in my work is that time is always a constant block, right? That people can't create that space and time for themselves to heal, to listen to their consciousness, to, you know, create, um, to, to do some more of that inner work. How do you work with your community members in your mastermind or in other places around this concept of time? Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, in Juicy Woman University, um, we have kind of a mantra around five areas. So we talk about having a clear mind, a well body as defined by free of pain, disease, and medication, um, having a full spirit, an open heart, and wisely managing your energy. So we don't even talk about time. That's really secondary. There's only 24 hours in a day according to the rotation of the earth, one complete revolution. So there's no 28th hour to find, there's 24 hours. So the question becomes, how am I utilizing my energy? And what do I say is important to me? And then what are the choices I'm making? And are they really aligned with what I claim I want and what I say is important? So anytime we start to talk about time, it's an illusion. It's really about the values how, how important you consider it and how truthful you're being about your willingness to change familiar patterns. So it doesn't cost anything to do some forgiveness work, but if you don't understand really what forgiveness work is, there's so much misinformation, bad teachings, bad religious information, um, that if you don't understand how it's a personal liberation process, then you'll keep talking about, oh, I don't have time to do it, but it's a matter of I've determined it's essential for me. And so I am putting value on it. And therefore I quote unquote, make the space for that particular work. So we usually have to have an upgrade in our understanding and an upgrade in, in the truth about where our commitment really is around what we say we want. And until that gets truthfully addressed, then we'll keep using time, not enough time, 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 space, space. I don't have time. And that's what will come out of our mouths. And it's interesting because in Juicy Woman University, these are progressive, high-achieving women who before Juicy Woman University might have said, I don't have the time, or I really don't understand what you mean by healing and forgiveness work. Well, we walk you through it and we do it real time together in the program. And it amazes me how avoidant we've become of healing work. So that's really what I found to be the real deal is because our spirit records everything. Our consciousness, our conscience is there for everything. And it knows the self-betrayals that have happened. It knows the experiences that have happened to our bodies or around us that we may have never addressed or been secretive about or feel shame about. And so actually the amount of avoidance, even when you present in simple, facilitated, I'm leading you through it steps, their resistance mm. is amazing. Mm -hmm. So whenever I hear time is the reason, I know that isn't, that isn't it. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> that isn't it, that this culture has not put any emphasis on um, healing 
It is a materialistic ideology. So it doesn't even recognize the validity of spirit right up there with the physical body and what's measurable and, and you know, empirical data. So we haven't known how to tend to the spirit. It's, it's an awkward space. We call it messy. We call it woo-woo, all these negative mm. connotations that keep us move, you know, considering it, it's way over there in the distance. So all of that comes to play when we say, I don't have the time. And that's not the real deal about um, why we're not engaging in our healing work. And then a lot of people um, don't know how to be at ease in their own energy mm -hmm. and in silence because we have a noisy culture. Yeah. And that also was the other part of it is um, we're uncomfortable with our own energy and just our own presence and silence because of what we might hear or have to consider mm -hmm. or think about. That's what I found to be more the case way. Yes. Um, uh, thank you for sharing that. And it's so true when I've worked with people who are interested in starting a meditation practice or deepening their meditation practice, sometimes I hear, I don't want to sit in silence. You know, it's uncomfortable to sit in silence. And I also want to call out, well, meditation isn't for everybody. And, you know, sometimes that, there gets to be support to support people if they're experiencing trauma, right? That that it's can maybe be overwhelming for their system to sit in silence. So taking that into account as well. But yeah, the people, it's hard for people to face themselves. And they haven't done some of that deeper work of uncovering, but how essential it is to to live in this world, to really live in this world. Well, even, you know, for my, um, my advanced women, women's retreats, the second morning, there's always a vow of silence and there's nothing you have to do except not talk. Mm -hmm. So it's not that we're even doing any, you know, the five steps, of the forgiveness process. We're not doing any other modalities. We're just shutting our mouths mm -hmm. for three hours from when you wake up and everybody has a roommate to, um, right before we go to breakfast. So just to be quiet is challenging for people because a lot of us have so much frenetic energy built up mm -hmm. in our system because of the pace of the um, false American dream. It's a nightmare the way many of us are living. So even if you do nothing else, but just be quiet, it's amazing how much insight, clarity, women get and there's nothing keeping them from being quiet for three hours in their own lives how about on a saturday morning you just decide tell your family if you live with people tell your roommate if you live with people how come we don't do it so that's separate from active healing work like forgiveness and moving through those five steps which you know is a set amount of time and there's a certain intention and and so um why are you uncomfortable mm -hmm. not just that I'm uncomfortable so that we can go deeper and start to unpack what's at the root of discomfort with self and my own energy and thoughts. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I love that addition. Yeah. Um, and when we've explored that, you know, it's because people don't want to spend time with themselves is what I hear. There's some deeper stuff there that that is a little heavy for them to explore or to sit with. And, um, you know, even if they're still in therapy or working with somebody on that, just noticing that can typically be a response. And, you know, somebody like myself who loves introspection work, meditates daily, 
I've been on, you know, many silent retreats. I'm going on a silent retreat tomorrow for the next week. And I'm even noticing how I'm like, as I'm prepping mentally and physically, like, oh my God, like, I don't know if I'm ready to like turn off, you know, like that turn off that connection and, and human connection that we get from speaking. But I know deep down, you know, in my subconscious, how powerful being silent and also how powerful being silent in community is and actually how connected I feel to people that I'm on a retreat with when we're in silence without even knowing their names or stories. So it's interesting. I'm just holding both of those experiences right now, like the desire for connection, verbal connection, and also the gift of being in silence. Well, Interestingly enough, we're a very verbose, talkative culture here in America. We don't tend to listen very well. Mm-hmm. And so the pandemic was an opportunity. It was imposed upon us to disengage from all of the physical activity, from the restaurants, the movies, all the things we could do to um, direct all this energy into. And interestingly enough, though, we said that we want more intimacy and connection with the people we love and we think it's based in talking it didn't support our relationships for many of us um becoming stronger there's more divorces that happened in the last two years just among my students who are the boss chick high achieving type more in that group than collectively all my students combined so so we may think that connection is from the verbal interaction but what if there's dimensions of that that are underdeveloped because we've overly relied on verbal? I can have women do an exercise during the silence where they stand two feet apart mm-hmm. and look in each other's eyes. Oh, and yeah. give me eight minutes and tears are flowing. How is that? There was no words exchanged. Mm-hmm. So, so we've become as a very verbose, talkative, uh, externalized culture overly dependent upon talking and even with all the talking and supposedly communication being the key why do we have the worst outcomes in our marriage statistics in any other country so there's some ironies in there that we get to notice and challenge some of our premises and how we have been thinking things work versus how they actually work as human beings yes and so yeah yeah I love that. And it reminds me of during the pandemic, I was doing a a virtual silent retreat. And because I was at home, my husband and I went on a silent walk. He wasn't doing the retreat with me, but we went on a silent walk together. And it was so powerful. We were seeing things that we've never seen before together, obviously not talking about it, but just like experiencing it together and in silence. And we both felt so deeply connected to one another. You know, normally, right, there's this impulse. I feel like sometimes when you go out to dinner as a couple and you see like other couples at tables who aren't talking and you like we notice like the judgmental thoughts of like, ooh, their relationship must be on the rocks. They're not communicating or, you know, having juicy conversation or, you know, whatever the stories our minds make up about others' relationships. And yet like how powerful it can be just to be eating with somebody in silence or walking with somebody in silence, how much connection and intimacy can be built. Yeah. Well, energy doesn't lie. So I love going to restaurants because you tend to have a lot of couples and it's not about how much verbal traffic is going on between them. I'm checking out the energy and can you be comfortable in silence in each other's energy? Or is it the kind of cold, 
silence. That's because we don't have anything to converse about. And the energy will tell you which it is. So energy never lies. And that's Very what true. I'm trying to really refine in terms, you know, I'm a love relations coach as well. So um, being able to read the energy, notice the energy and not get distracted just by how much conversation um, because a lot of couples that would talk over dinner are now divorced in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yeah. The world, um, Debrina, we could keep chatting about all the inner and outer work and we'll just have to have you come back on the podcast. Uh, tell people where they can learn more about you and your work and all of your books. Yeah. Well, Debrina Grand Central is really milliondollarmentor.net. And um, there are all kinds of wonderful free gifts on my website, articles that can be read because I'm a master coach in love and also business and transformation. So there's a lot of rich uh, material there. Um, the audiobook of my first nationally published book was just brought out by HarperCollins um, days ago. So right on the homepage, for those who like to listen to books, the audiobook is available. You can go to my store on my website and be taken to the Amazon portal and get my three, all three of my national books. There's audio training, all kinds of wonderful things at milliondollarmentor.net. Amazing. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Centered in the City podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review this podcast episode or even share this episode with a friend that comes to your mind and heart. Sharing is caring and sharing your words and your feedback about this podcast mean the world to me. Thanks so much for being here and until next time, stay centered.